You're listening to Second Breaks, a weekly show where we explore stories of people navigating a changing world of work and thriving in their chosen careers. My name is Lou Blazer, and this is episode number 100. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the... Well, you know what? This is not just yet another episode. This is a special one today because this is episode 100. And I am so thrilled to be celebrating this with you. It was a little over two years ago when I launched this podcast on June 1st, 2017. But then I had been a podcast listener for a while. I had been enjoying a lot of shows, benefiting from a lot of shows. And I wanted to do something similar. I wanted to add to the conversation around career success or what does it even mean to be successful in our careers in you know in a changing world of work it's it's a totally different world from when i started the rules have changed from you know decades ago when i when i started uh, you know in the jurassic years before the internet and if you're just entering the workforce today maybe this is all you know but for most of the folks who have already been working for a while we could all use some guideposts, right? We, we, we can feel the difference and we could all use some guideposts, a compass of some sort about how to navigate this new world, this new economy. And so I had this idea, which really became the goal of this podcast to this day, is that I wanted to bring stories of people who are navigating this changing world to serve as models of possibility for all of us who are looking to thrive in our chosen careers. Now, to be completely transparent, when I launched the podcast, I wasn't imagining reaching this milestone. (laughs) At that time, I had only one concern, which was to get past this giant wall of fears so that I could actually manage to invite guests and sit behind the mic and record these conversations so I can bring their stories alive. And so I can't tell you how proud I am and how happy I am to be recording this 100th episode and to be sharing this milestone with you. I always say this podcast is an example of how you too can do things that you are scared of, of you can do things that you never thought that you could pull off. So the proverbial, you know, if I could do it, so can you certainly applies here. Now, there is always something that I took away from every guest and every podcast episode, but there are some that really stood out for me when something clicked in my head and it made me change a habit or it made me really think and reevaluate the way that I approach something in my life and in my career. So I wanted to share my own lessons learned, my own takeaways from my past guests with you. Um, so that's really what I wanted to do for this episode. So there are seven uh, key takeaways, major lessons learned. And so for every lesson, I give a little bit of introduction about why that lesson is uh, relevant for me or why that lesson is important for me. And then a brief excerpt from that episode. Now, before I talk about the lessons learned, I just also wanted to briefly talk to you about my goals for this podcast. Now, now that I think I've got the basics down. I'm excited to set my sights for the next chapter for this show. 
I'm not going to talk about the goals in detail. I actually wrote a longer post on on this, sort of like my accountability, my way of being accountable for the goals of the podcast with you. So if you go to the show notes for this episode, you'll find those goals, secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts and look for episode 100. So very briefly, though, I have four uh, major goals for the next chapter of the podcast. First, obviously, I want to continue producing the show. Uh, My intention is for the podcast to continue being a weekly show where new episodes drop on Thursdays. So that will continue. I also want to focus on bringing more interesting stories around how people are actually navigating the 21st century world of work, right? There's a lot of changes. There's a lot of things that's being disrupted, a lot of things that are new. Uh, There's also a lot of opportunities and people finding new ways of uh, finding opportunities and uh, new careers and new uh, ways of working. So I want to... Uh, shed more light on those things. I believe firmly that the more we hear about what's possible, the more ideas we can generate, and the more we hear about what other people are actually able to do, the more that we can see ourselves reaching for our our own stars, right? Uh, third, I want to produce what I'm calling themed series, or for lack of a better phrase, basically, I want to spend a little bit of time on certain subject matters, and have a number of episodes devoted to that subject matter with, you know, different voices and looking at it from different angles and different stories. So I want to explore that going forward. And then fourth, uh, goal is to focus on uh, podcast growth. And I think it's about time that I focus on <laughs> expanding the show's listenership. Like I said, it now that I got this uh, basics down and I could really use your help here. You can do this one of three ways or all of three ways. <laughs> one, you can subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app that you're listening to. Two, you can leave me a rating and review on iTunes. Now, if you're not sure about how to leave a review on iTunes, you can go to the show notes, secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts, and you will find the link for the instructions there. And then the last way that you can help me is by sharing the podcast with your friends. So thank you so much in advance for your support uh, in terms of podcast growth. Okay, so let's get on with the show. Here are my seven major lessons learned and key takeaways from my past guests. All right, first up, my conversation with Ainsley Tanner. Frankly, that interview with her, which was in episode 38, was chock full of insights and valuable reminders and tips. I was hard pressed to identify just one key takeaway, but there was one topic that we talked about, personal branding, that really struck a chord for me. Now, the term personal branding is sort of like a new-ish phrase for me to get my arms around. It wasn't a phrase that I was familiar with when I was in, you know, working in corporate America. I, I am more aware of it now that I am in business. But when Ainsley mentioned the phrase personal branding, she talked about it in the context of her corporate career. So as soon as she mentioned that, my ears perked up. The reality is, whether we use the phrase personal branding or not, we all have a brand already. 
and you know whether we are consciously aware of it or not and so this this bit this excerpt of my conversation with Ainsley was such a good reminder for me to pay attention to how I am showing up and to make sure that this is in line with my personal intentions and goals so I I'd love to share a story um, to help illustrate how I learned actually what personal branding is all about. And this was back when I was working as a management consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were in the days when I really relied on my work ethic to represent me. You know, I, I was committed to being reliable. I worked long hours with my clients. Um, I'd come back into the office after a long day at work to, to do more, more things back at the office. And I really saw myself as a workhorse. Mm. And um, one of the things I do, as you know, Liz, sometimes in management consulting, you're often out at client sites. So you don't actually see your consulting clients that often. So what I got into the habit of doing to add to the team building aspect of what I was doing value-wise uh, was to bring my colleagues in for Friday afternoon tea. And I'd bring in some baking, bring in some muffins, cake, whatever, and get everybody around the table so that we could see each other before we'd head off to the weekend, right? So I thought I was adding value in all these different ways. And about two years went by and I wanted to go for promotion. I put together the obligatory business case outlining all the ways I added value and waited to hear back from the partners um, about, you know, the results of their decision. And my boss called me into her office and she sat me down and she said straight to my face, I will never forget, Ainsley, the partners at this firm want to promote a future partner, not the team mom. What? And my my jaw dropped. My jaw dropped. I was completely shocked to find out that that's the way that I was perceived. That was, well, first of all, not how I wanted to come across. Um, But more importantly, number two, it was not effective in helping me get the promotion I wanted. I had failed to influence the decision makers effectively. So this moment taught me a couple of things. So number one, your personal brand ultimately is not what you say it is. It's what other people say it is. And two, I had to be a lot more strategic. Mm. A lot more strategic about especially how I was using my limited in-person time with the decision makers, because that was formulating, that was influencing heavily how they were perceiving me, right? So I took that information on board. And again, I, I, you know, I, I didn't just run out of that conversation. I sat there and I took the feedback. I was like, let me hear it. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Let's hear like what's causing this. And so she helped me analyze how I had been coming across, you know, how I'd been kind of misusing my limited time with the partners and so forth. Um, And I took that information on board and I decided, you know, I had some options. I was at a crossroads. I could either wait another year to apply for promotion at this firm again, Mm -hmm. or I could start looking externally at a competitor to see, could I get the promotion I wanted outside? Mm -hmm. And that's the route I decided to take. So this time though, I was very strategic. (laughs) So when I was uh, looking for the job to apply for, I made sure that I understood very clearly what the hiring manager was looking for beyond the job description. What was it they wanted in this individual? And in this particular case, the hiring manager told me they were looking for, and put in quotes, a safe pair of hands. Those were his exact words. And so everything I did from how I tailored my resume to the stories I told in the interview Mm -hmm. were all tying back to this message that I am a safe pair of hands. Let me tell you about the times that I've project managed things on time and on budget, that I've engineered things, you know, that were had strict safety requirements, et cetera, et cetera. I kept on putting the, you know, the messaging right back, connecting the dots. I'm a safe pair of hands. Now, not only did I get that role, Lou, but I was also offered a salary that was 40% higher than what I had been earning before. Did I suddenly in those couple of months become 40% more knowledgeable or more skilled or anything? Not at all. 
but I was worth that much more to them because I was exactly what they were looking for. I had positioned myself exactly what they wanted. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually a good point because I just wanted to clarify uh, for the person who's sitting down and listening and saying, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be uh, inauthentic, right? I want to be who yes. I am. And so you're not, we're not saying when we're talking about branding, we're not saying be a person who you're not. Exactly. Such a great point. So it's not, it's not trying to be somebody else. It's just understanding how your actions are being perceived. Because to your point, I think what you said earlier was great. You said your brand isn't what you think it is. It is actually what other think, what other people think it is. Yes, absolutely. That's the ultimate test. And you make such a great point. And I'd love to emphasize that a personal brand is not about putting on a mask. It's about showcasing the best of what you have to offer that's most relevant for the person you're trying to influence. So whether that's a hiring manager or that's a potential client you want to get on board with your business, it's about giving them the relevant information, right? Because we all have, we're all complex individuals with diverse backgrounds and, you know, nuanced personalities. We have so much to offer, different strengths and skills. You can't overwhelm your prospect or whoever it is you're trying to influence with all of that and let and make them sort through to try to find what bits are relevant. So it's really about being strategic and targeted with what you decide to share about yourself. Shannon Paris, my guest uh, back in episode 42, was laid off from her dream job. And then she found this not so common job that was actually uniquely suited for her. I invited her to the show because I wanted to hear about how she managed that sucky feeling that came with being laid off and how she managed the waters during that time. And then how she landed this awesome job that fits her perfectly. What Shannon talked about networking really blew my mind. I am a card-carrying introvert. And quite frankly, networking... (laughs) traditional definition of networking anyway is as appealing to me as going for a root canal. So listening to Shannon's experience, I thought, whoa, I can do this. I can actually do this. It doesn't have to be more complicated than this. And it reminded me to always say yes. Which it's interesting because it really did help influence in a way. It's one of the very things that led me to the current job I'm in. So t- tell us about how that happened then. How I ended up at Co-Commercial. And, and it's a very different role, right? And, yes. and also talk to us a little bit about the role because a lot of the listeners are probably not familiar with the purely online digital uh, kind of business, right? Nor was I. <laughs> so, I th- so I had two mantras during this whole period. And one was talk to everyone. And never say never. So I just was like, well, hey, I have some time on my hands. I just called up everybody I knew, sometimes just because I wanted to catch up. I was like, hey, we can have coffee. Of course, you're going to talk and you're going to just chat. And I was just listening to an episode of uh, Profit Power Pursuit and Jordan Harbinger of The Art of Charm. And he was, I mean, he's all about networking. But he said the very thing and the reason why I talk to everyone was you never know what the results can be of any conversation or any networking experience. And you're almost better off not having a predetermined outcome in mind. So I just, um, I called up uh, my friend who I had managed a Borders bookstore with, Tara Gentili, and 
I think I met, I went out with her and her husband for some beers and then, you know, we had some coffee and then she sent me a little note and she said, I don't know if you would have any interest in this. It's only 10 hours a week and it's below your pay grade. Mm-hmm. What I pay you right now, you know, but I need a community manager because she has an online community for small business owners. It's a support and social network. And it's, it's people we call it, say it's for digital business owners, but pretty much everybody today is a digital business owner. If you're marketing your business, you have an email, you have a website. That's kind of what we're talking about when we say a a digital business owner. But I didn't, I couldn't have told you that 10 months ago. (laughs) And I said, well, let's talk, you know, no idea what, what your world is. So we got together for coffee and I sort of laid out, you know, what I would need in the long term. I was like, I would need full time down the road, but tell me about this job. She explained what she did. She was looking for an extrovert, someone to offset her introverted Mm -hmm. personality, even though she's a fabulous speaker and whatnot, she's still an introvert who could be in the community and really get in there and, and just enjoy it and shake it up and start working on events. And I was like, she saw that I had a skill set of operations and and relationship building, and she felt like she could teach me the realm of digital business ownership. And so, knowing what she needed, it sounded really interesting to me. And knowing her, knowing what I needed down the road, she thought she could do that. And we both sort of, if she couldn't, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Mm-hmm. We always enjoyed working together. So we gave it a whirl and here I am 10 months later, full time. I'm the one full time employee that she has. We have four other team members now who are part time and then things, some other things shifted. And so some of the operations pieces came up to me, which is my wheelhouse. I love it. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, just highlight a little bit was when you were talking about networking because this is another thing that I hear so when people um, either they're preparing to uh, switch jobs or they've been laid off or something happens and they all know oh I have to network and all of a sudden they reach out to their network cold right and a lot of people feel uh, awkward doing that because they feel as if well I'm reaching out to my network because I'm looking for a job and it's so you know, there's something funky about that feeling, right? But what you said was perfect because you were just reaching out to say hello, connecting without necessarily, uh, you're not necessarily reaching out to people because, hey, do you have a job for me? Exactly. Yeah, you almost have to let go of, and, and let go of the fear. If there's something about it that makes you feel yucky, what is that thing? Then don't do that thing. Approach it another way because I would feel yucky if I was just like, knocking on doors. I need a job. Right. Exactly. Right. But I reached out to other people who got laid off before me. And, you know, I said, well, now you have two jobs. How did you get there? Or another friend who I hadn't connected with a long time who got laid off. And I said, well, what are you doing now? I know you're not quite working. She volunteered and ended up getting a job at the different, at a place she volunteered at. So just hearing their stories, honestly, I love hearing a person's stories and you learn from that. Exactly. And then you're in their mind, right? Then you, you're just in each other's mind. It's a mutual thing because you might, that's the one thing Jordan Harbinger talked about. You don't know what you can do for each other. 
you know, you, you, you might have something you can offer them too down the road or even before they have something to offer you. Let's talk about Karen Calbo. First off, this episode, episode number 44, is by far the most downloaded episode on the podcast. And I'm not really surprised about that because Karen has that kind of personality that you really just, you know, you just want to listen to everything she says. But also because my conversation with her was about discovering our, you know, unique skills and unique talents and leveraging those to craft a new career or, you know, identify a new opportunity. There's this bit of our conversation that I'm going to let you hear just now that was such a good reminder for me to not try too hard because I find that often the answer is right under my nose already and I'm not paying attention to it because I'm trying to come up with something bigger or, uh, you know, something I'm trying to make it more complicated or I'm not trying to make it more complicated. This is just that it ends up being more complicated because I'm trying too hard. So this conversation with Karen, particularly this bit, was such a good reminder, a good kick in the pants for me. The whole time I was like, how do I combine these things? At first I tried to do like the, like the art piece, like social work and art. Is there some way I could do this? And I never could find quite find the right fit. I took this really amazing course, which I know we have a love-hate relationship with courses. But this one was, this was intense. It was like four or five months tons of like workbooks, binders full of homework, like getting to your core values, like all of the stuff that I've seen in piecemeal and other course, it was all in this course. And there was a section on interviewing your customers and interviewing prospective customers and all this. And I was like, this is the part that I love. And I was just geeking out about it and having a great time. And we had a Facebook group and everyone was in there. And I was like, this is so much fun. I've scheduled all my interviews. And a lot of my classmates were like, um, what is wrong with you? And also help me. And they started asking me for help. Like they would, I would literally have friends sitting outside of a Starbucks going, okay, I have a client interview in 10 minutes. Can you tell me what to ask them? Like they had no, they just, it wasn't their jam. Right. And they weren't, um, into it. And so, and I, during my other research projects, I always love doing focus groups, like throw me in a room full of strangers and let me ask them questions. And it's like, all right, good. I'm weird. I don't know. And that was always my favorite part because I'm curious and I just like hearing people's stories and getting to the bottom of the mystery. Right. So I literally was trying to do something else with my business. I was trying to go down this path of project management and possibly coaching around with mom stuff. And it was really good and noble and like fit parts of what I liked to do, but it just was like square peg round hole. It was not working. And meanwhile, I keep getting hit over the head with this. Karen, can you help me interview my customers? Karen, can you help me interview my customers? I'm like, I should probably look into this. (laughs) Like it took a year solid of like me being hit over the head to finally go. And I, I had considered it before. Like I had had a whole, like, you know, three or four days where I was like, I could do research for people. 
And then I turned it into this convoluted concept that I talked myself out of in like two seconds. And then a year later, I figured it out. I love your story. And oh my God, you are a, you're a gem because the thing that you love to do is the thing that so many people don't want to do or are scared of doing or can't figure out how to do. I, it's great also that the way that you talked about it, how there's this thing that you love to do that you found a way to use that in a way that makes sense for you, that fits and also helpful for other people. So a lot of people are saying, what do I know? What talent do I have? Meanwhile, it's right in front of you, the talent that you have that's actually very helpful or going to be very useful for people. Like the thing that you love to do that other people don't want to do. I consider myself an introvert, friendly extrovert because I have a lot of really good friends who are like the exact opposite of me in terms of that. There's a buzz, there's a Buzzfeed video that like why it's good to have introvert friends and why it's good to have extrovert friends. And I am like the extrovert video girl. And then I have the introvert friends who are like, it's okay to stay home. You don't have to go out. And I was like, I love you. Thank you for saving me. But I always like I filter my crazy ideas through them. And I always get pulled back when I hear lots of like, well, just reach out to people and just, you know, just call them up. It's no big deal where all my introvert friends are like, uh, no, that is exactly the opposite of what I like to do. Um, And so it's been really, really helpful to talk to them as I work through this process to figure out exactly what those stuck points are for people and then craft what I'm doing to make, you know, it easier when I'm teaching people and easier be like, okay, I know you hate this. Uh, I love it. So let's figure something out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So one of my major roadblocks, you know, the kind that you create yourself. (laughs) So one of my self-created roadblocks, put it that way, has to do with asking for help. I have such a problem with asking for help. And it has nothing to do with thinking that I can do it all because I can't. It's more about not wanting to bother people and being worried about what they might think about me uh, when I ask for help. Really, right? So this conversation with Kirsten Rundvik from episode 57 is one that has a permanent space in my mind. I remind myself of her example and experience often. Anytime I'm feeling the resistance to ask for help. Also, if there's one thing that I would change, like if I could go back in time and have a do-over, this is one thing that I would do immediately without question. Uh, Yeah, I was working with them. And so I really loved the freedom and the ability to work from anywhere. And so I don't even remember like how I found this other job. I think it was like through another one of my friends who was also like an online entrepreneur um, and she was really well connected. And I just kind of said, here's what I'm looking for. I reached out. This is like my favorite tactic is when you're looking for something new is knowing exactly what you want and what you're really good at. Like what what do you actually want to be doing every single day? And so I made a list of what I wanted to be doing. And I sent an email. I didn't like blast a bunch of people, but I sent an individual email to like all these people that I knew. And I just said, 
hey, I'm looking for a remote position that's 15 hours a week. And it, you know, potentially pays between this and this. And I had a, a couple other things that I was really interested in, in terms of like company culture. So a couple people were like, oh, you know, I, I'll keep you in mind. Some people never responded or they were just like, oh, hey, like great to hear from you. And then my one friend, Bernie, was like, I know the perfect person to introduce you to for like the perfect position. And so they she connected me to this person and it was like a week later and they hired me for this position, this remote position. It was perfect. Yeah. And I've used that strategy for so many different positions in the past, including the two um, freelance nonprofit gigs that I mentioned previously. Like I did the same exact thing. I just like emailed the founder of this nonprofit and I was like, hey, you guys look like you need some help with your social media. Here's what I can do. And they were like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> really? I love that. And I know that a lot of the people who, is, who are listening would find that really useful because a lot of people would like to be able to do that, but don't know how. Yeah. You know, and, but it could be just as simple as that. Hey, I'm looking for something that could be between 10 or 15 hours a week. Yep. You know, it could be as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. It really is simple. And people always ask me, like, how do you find these cool jobs? How is this always happening to you? And I'm like, it doesn't happen to me. It's like, I literally go out there and I know, I know roughly what I want. And of course, like my interests have changed over time. And I know when a position might not be the best fit anymore. And that, I mean, we can also talk about that and knowing when to kind of move on from that situation. But I think it's really important to like, have that list that you that you can kind of give other people and they can know if you're a good fit or not and then and then they it's it's just such a good filter because it's sometimes people will be like oh hey uh you know send me or like send me to someone uh that you know if they need like a marketing person it's like that's not really clear but if you say like I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this and this many hours with the company culture and like in tech industry or something like that um, and you talk a little bit more in depth about what you like, it's much easier for someone else to be like, oh my gosh, I literally know the perfect fit for you. Absolutely. It's like, don't do, don't give them the homework of figuring out what you'll be good at. Yes. Melissa Dinwiddie is a good friend of mine. She's been on the show twice. I invited her back, back in episode 67. I invited her back to the show because she's making a pivot in her work. And I wanted to ask her about what it all means and what she's doing and all that good stuff. Her new focus has to do with the work that she's doing with organizations and corporations. It was all very interesting. But it was really while I was editing that episode that I began to really appreciate what we had talked about, what we had covered during our, our chat. That whole bit about creative problem solving um, and getting out of our heads and using the yes and approach, which is a well-known improv technique, really made me think about how I can use these concepts, these ideas, these approaches whenever I feel stuck with a problem or whenever I'm feeling frustrated about the lack of progress in something, which quite candidly is something I am currently going through. It's I have a few things that are sort of I'm working on. They're not quite for public consumption yet. That's why I'm not talking about them in detail. But 
there is a bit of frustration in my part about, you know, sort of like feeling stuck about some of the things that I'm working on. So this bit of my conversation with Melissa is really resonating with it's it resonated with me back then. And it's really resonating with me again, as I prepare for this episode, and it's really making me think about getting out of my head and approaching this uh, problem solving um, differently and really thinking about this yes and approach. That is a, a principle in improv. The shorthand is yes and. Uh-huh. And what that really means, it doesn't literally mean that you say yes to everything. What it means is that you accept an offer. An offer in improv means whatever your partner, your scene, whatever's happening around you, you accept the reality in the, in the context of a scene, an improv scene that's happening. So if somebody walks on stage and says, gee, it's really cold here in Chicago, you don't say, it's not Chicago, it's Hawaii, and it's really hot. Because the scene is basically over at that point, or right. you, you just, you've denied the reality of what just happened, right? You've denied the reality of the world that this other person has created with that offer. Instead, you say, you you add to that offer, you accept the reality of the offer that they just made, and you add to it in some way. By maybe you say, yes, and I really like that puffy parka you're wearing. So that's the con that's the principle of yes and. It doesn't mean that you say yes. Like here's an example. So there might be a scene in which somebody is playing a robber, a thief with a, with a gun, like I, and they're holding you up, stick them up, give me your wallet. Mm -hmm. So somebody who takes the, the principle of yes and too literally might say, okay, here's my wallet. You don't actually have to say literally yes. You might say, I'm not going to give you my wallet. It's all, this is all the money I have. Right. But you're, you're not denying the reality that there's somebody who's holding you up with a gun in the scene. So that's the principle of, of yes and. Now, in a, in a business setting, you're not always going to be able to say yes to everything. But if you keep that principle in mind, it helps you think about, is there a way that I can accept the reality of what's in front of me instead of shooting everything down. I saw one of your Instagram live stories, I think we call it now, <laughs> where yeah. you were doing one of those live stories where you were talking about how when we address the blank page, you were do you were going you were going to do your doodles, your daily doodles, I think. And yeah. um but there is something significant I thought when you said, you know, sometimes we freeze when we are facing a blank page. Cause because, you know, it's like, oh, my God, where do I begin? And you said something like, just interact with the page. Just start anywhere. Do anything. Because the moment you put something on the page, then you have something that you're reacting to or that you are responding to or interacting with. And I thought that that was a great metaphor that has so many applications in real life. Because in so many ways, we get stuck because... And we're just frozen and we're not doing anything. Absolutely. Yeah. I always start this way with whenever I do a live 
stream of my doodling, I start by saying, how do we deal with fear of the blank page? We make it unblank. And my, I have uh, my book, The Creative Sandbox Way, is based around my 10 guideposts. And guidepost number five is just start anywhere. And this is so true because, you know, the hardest part is starting. And so this is the guidepost that I, this is the guidepost that I, that I turn to most frequently whenever I'm trying to write a blog post or send an email to my mailing list or start a new piece of art or whatever it is, design a new workshop for my consultancy or whatever, just start. <laughs> because it is, it is that fear of the blank page metaphorically or literally that, that hangs us up. And, you know, we're so afraid of making crap, right? But yeah. the thing is, we need the crap to fertilize the good stuff. So with my doodles, I have an improvisational doodle practice. And I literally just make a mark. It doesn't matter what that mark is. It can be a dot. It can be a scribble. It can be a line. It can be, it doesn't matter. Because now I have something to respond to. And it's just like that, that offer, like I was telling about in an improv scene or a class or whatever. Now I have, there's something to respond to. There's the reality of the world that is. Yes. And now I can respond to the reality of the world that is and react to it. And I, it doesn't matter if I like it or if I hate it, I can just respond to what's there. And now there's something new there and I can respond to that and so on and so on and so on. Tara McMullen and Joanna Penn, my guests from the two most recent episodes, 98 and 99, are two of my role models. I've said that on this podcast before. So it's really not a surprise that I would have a few takeaways from my conversations with them. In fact, I took note of so many things from my chat with Tara, like you know, when we were talking about goal setting, I've heard her talk about her position about goal setting before, but still it was such a good reminder for me. But there was this one bit that really struck a chord for me when we started talking about it. It was when I asked her about how she is able to remain resilient and able to get back on her feet quickly when things are in flux or when things aren't panning out the way that she wanted it to go. So I think that the people who know me best, I, let's just say my husband, I think Sean would agree with you that I am resilient, that I'm really good at bouncing back, that I'm really good at um, kind of staying on top of things um, and staying positive uh, even when things are in flux. And he would also tell you, and I will tell you, that I get burnout. I get frustrated. I cry. I get angry. I get despondent, <laughs> you know, seriously. And um, that's okay. I'm okay with that, right? Like there's no one promised me as a small business owner that my life was going to be hunky-dory or that once I got to a certain revenue level, everything was going to be okay. Or once my email list size got big enough, everything was going to be okay. Because that's if someone promises you that, like run the other direction. That's really bad. <laughs> that's not true, right? And anytime when you are kind of pushing the envelope and uh, kind of 
moving forward with new ideas or making a pivot, um, things are in flux and you don't know as many answers to as many questions as you'd like to. And there are going to be things that don't go the way that you want them to go. And so for me, it's one, accepting that, knowing that there are going to be hard times Mm. um, and that they end, right? They always end. They always end and things get better. Things might not get better the way you thought they were going to get better, but they get better. Um, And so that's one thing. Um, And recognizing for me, often I can see it happen throughout the year. Like I know what the patterns are. I know when I start to get twitchy. I know when I start to get burnt out. And if I can actually plan for that in my year and know like, all right, the first week of December, it's probably going to suck. It always sucks. What can I do about that? Or what can I do to prepare for that? Um, then that's that's really helpful. Um, and then for me, the other piece of this, and this has become something that's been much more important to me over the last few years, is working on myself, working on myself mm. as a leader, working on myself as a woman, working on myself as a human being. Um, so that when those rough patches happen, and I do get frustrated, and I do break down in tears, um, I have way more skills. I have more tools in my, in my toolkit to bounce back from that. And, you know, to know that if I'm feeling really frustrated at work, it is absolutely okay to cut out early, head to the gym and make myself feel better or to take a walk and ask myself some big questions or to have a difficult conversation with my husband or my team and, um, you know, and use that to kind of set the stage for getting back on top of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it is, it's recognizing and accepting that there's, there are going to be frustrating times, um, and also working on myself. Something that you said that reminded me actually, um, of, uh, something I read, uh, from one of Seth Godin's book, you know, he said something along the lines of, um, when we say everything's going to work out, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way that you want it to work out. Right. It just means that whatever is going to happen, you're going to be able to get through past it. You're going to be able to handle it. So when we say that, it doesn't mean exactly as planned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me and for, I think, any small business owner, but also so many people who are in corporate America, who are working their way up in an organization, we're problem solvers. Like that's why we're in the positions that we're in. Uh, It's why we've gotten into the work that we've gotten into. And so, yeah, I think when you think about like, okay, I'm in this rough patch. um, I know everything's going to work out. It's on you to work it out. Right. But it's a it's a problem that you have to work out. And when you start thinking about it that way, like this is a puzzle. I need to figure out how these different pieces come together to create something that I'm thrilled with, right? Not just something I can live with, but something that I'm thrilled with. That kind of a challenge, when I can start to recognize that the reason I'm feeling bad is a problem and that problem is a puzzle, that's something that I can get really excited about. And then everything turns around and it's great. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I totally love that. I'm going to rewind that for myself and <laughs> write it all over the place. As I mentioned in the last bit, this list isn't going to be complete without me talking about my conversation with Joanna Penn from my most recent episode, episode 99. 
Joanna Pena is one of my role models. And of course, I was going to have a lot of notes, a lot of takeaways from that chat. But there is one question that I really, really wanted to ask her because one of the things that I really admire about Joanna is the fact that she has She's a very positive person. In fact, I think she is one of the most positive voices out there on the internet. And I've been listening to her podcast and reading her posts for a long time. So I wanted to really understand, you know, how she remains positive. <laughs> and if she's really just blessed with happy genes or if, if this is if there's something that she does, a habit that uh, she she does that I could adopt as well? I guess there's a couple of answers. So one, I, I think I am an, a naturally happy person. You know, they <laughs> say that you have a, a point where you sit in the world, whether you win the lottery or you end up in a bad accident, a lot of, you know, you have a kind of happiness point. And I, I'm a really happy person. But also, um, when I looked at doing a podcast and a business online, I learned a lot about personal brand. Mm. And curation of your personal brand now I'm very authentic I you know you've been listening to my show I'm this is me this is me but this is not me all the time um you know I have down moments uh you know when some political things have happened I've I've cried as much as anyone else you know I get angry all these things um frustrated uh but because I chose from day one to have a positive personal brand, I don't I don't share those moments until I have something that's positive for people to learn from it. So I, you know, you will have heard me talk about my mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, um, but but I share my mistakes and my misery from the perspective of this is what I learned from it. So I don't share it at the time. I, I will share it later. So for example, my book, The Successful Author Mindset, it's full of my fear and self-doubt and all the awful things that you feel when you're writing, some of the things we've talked about today. And But I didn't really talk about it until I was ready to share that book. Ah. So you see what I mean? So I, I think if you choose, you have to choose the energy you put out on the internet because the internet is one of those things you're talking about. It can be amazing and brilliant and creative and fantastic, or it can be a cesspool of <laughs> really horrible, evil stuff. So you have to choose which part of the internet you want to live in, right? You want to choose where your energy is going to sit. And um, it might be a bit woo-woo in a way, but you know the energy you put out there is the energy you're going to get back. So I chose from day one to put out positive energy. And yeah, there are sometimes I look at some of the stuff going on and I just go, okay. Um, and then I try and think about my audience. How can I spin this in a way that will help them as opposed to wallowing in self-pity? And one, one other tip I would say is I do not watch TV news. Never. I haven't watched TV news for, I don't know, eight, eight years or something. Um, I do read headlines uh, on um, newspapers on my phone, um, but I will not watch the TV news because I think the relentless cycle of negativity and hype is what is making a lot of people scared yes. at the moment. 
in the world. And most of it, I mean, you know, there's so many great things going on that the news just never reports. So <laughs> I just prefer to cut that out of my life. And it's a bit like curating your brain, curating your input and curating your output. At the end of the day, you know, we podcast and we write books and we blog for ourselves, but also we're doing it for other people. So you have to think about what other people might get out of it. And um, yeah, so I, I think that hopefully that helps. You, you have to think about your audience. And if you're in a kind of self-help niche like we are um, with, with non-fiction, then you have to help. <laughs> that is what I have for you on this very special 100th episode. I hope that you found this useful. And I would so love to hear from you about your thoughts on these takeaways or anything else really you can leave comments on the show notes for this episode again you can find that at secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts and look for episode 100 or you can direct message me on instagram uh, you can find me at lubelazer on instagram now before i wrap up i just wanted to thank you so much for being a listener for supporting me, supporting the show. You being there on the other side of this mic means the world to me. So thank you so much. I will be back next week as we move on to the next chapter of this show. Onward and forward, right? I hope that you will join me. Until then, keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans.